Hey guys, it's Lacey from Sober Company. Welcome. This week we're going to run a rerun, but don't go anywhere. It's awesome. Even if you've heard it before, I think it's worth a second listen, or if I do say so myself when I re-listened to it recently. In this episode, it happens to be our first interview ever, but I personally think we hit a home run with it. Nick and I speak to our friend in recovery named Jake, and We talked to him about how he got sober, what that looked like for him, including the use of a drug called Antabuse, uh, which Nick and I have both used on our sobriety journeys as well. And believe me, they're not uh, sending us money or anything. We're just talking about our personal paths in recovery. We also talk about some of the stigma surrounding using pharmaceutical help to get sober and why we think that's BS, but also why you definitely still need to quote unquote, do the work to stay sober. Also... Jake is a dad and was getting sober right when his first kid was born. And I think that's a really important and interesting and rich perspective on sobriety as well. So we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Sober Company, a podcast about modern sobriety. My name is Lacey. My name's Nick. And today we're talking about Anna abuse, and we're here with our special friend, Jake. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jake is our friend, our mutual friend in recovery. It's very cool. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's also, he's very kind in many, many ways, but he's in this particular instance very kind because he's our first interview guest. Yeah. The honor is entirely mine. I like, <laughs> you guys have such a polished word, like. Yeah, we're extremely yeah, We are so professional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great to be on here. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, so oh, this is super you. fun. Well, we're happy to have you. Don't tell anyone what the behind the scenes looks like. I will say professional, just... It, I mean, clean. it is very opulent in here. Yeah. Like the no. marble floors. And like the just chandelier, like the huge like, windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful view of downtown. Um, yeah. Nick, your apartment is stunning. Yeah. At least, I mean, you can, if you look out the window and look to the left, you can see the Empire State Building. Oh, shit. That's actually not a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although now I'm going to take that out because all your stalkers will find you. <laughs> oh, gonna try yeah, and the, you back. The, the, yeah, <laughs> the one apartment that can see the Empire State Building. <laughs> to the left. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody on Google Maps just like, Got him. Yeah. <laughs> it's the information I've been waiting for. <laughs> All right. So we're going to run through your, you know, I guess, active and sober history. Sure. So do you want to start out? Yeah. And I want to w- hear this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Um, when you started and then kind of when it got bad and then, you know, just. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I started drinking when I was probably like 13 and, you know, sort of drank on and off in high school, uh, mainly just smoked a ton of pot. And then when I got to college, uh, it just really fastly, like grew really fast into like a daily habit. And by the time I was a sophomore, I was drinking every day. I went to school in the South. So there would be one day Sunday where you couldn't uh, buy any booze. And mm. I started noticing like, huh, when I don't drink, like, I feel real bad. (laughs) So, like, I would start driving to states where you could buy booze on Uh. Sunday. So by the time I graduated college, uh, I knew that I had a drinking problem, or my hypothesis was that I was an alcoholic, and then I basically spent, like, the next 12 years just really testing that hypothesis out Mm. and then kind of rejecting uh, the conclusions of that experiment. So it started getting, I don't know, I mean, it was always pretty bad. Like, I started blacking out pretty young. But in my 20s, you know, I lived in San Francisco. I ran with a group of people that all drank pretty heavily, so I didn't stand out too far from the crowd. Yeah, Everybody was sort of blacking out. Everybody was like having sort of weird, fun stories where you're just like, then I woke up and I was in a cab and I was in like Dublin. I don't know. (laughs) But really starting about um, 2014, I really started realizing that like, oh, like if I don't do something, like I'll probably die. Or at the very least, uh, I would destroy the relationship I had with my girlfriend, now my wife. So at first, I went to um, a couple therapists. I went to a couple quacks. There's a woman who suggested I just eat a lot of trail mix. Um, what? <laughs> she said that I should just stop drinking and eat trail mix. And if I ever got anxious, I should roll my eyes in the back of my head. Like she gave therapy in like 
an Upper West Side oh, apartment no, with like cats. This is New York. Oh, wow. It was real uh, bad. It but was, that could happen in San Francisco too. That's it, what I was like, thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> any large city with an overabundance of people who need therapy um, yeah. has some quacks. Yeah. But eventually, I found a really great therapist, and with her, I started. My goal was I wanted to moderate my drinking. Like that was my yeah. like my dream is like I just wanted to be like. I mean, my wife or so many people that I saw around me For that sure. could, you know, have two beers or they could have a beer and a half. You know, they could do that thing where they yeah. just like leave a beer. Forget I about it. It's like yeah. a magic trick to me. <laughs> I like can count on like one hand probably the times I left a drink unfinished. So you yeah. would drink to like blackout or yeah. it would just like end up happening that way. It would end like, up happening. I mean, yeah. I was never like, I didn't want to blackout because like things, For sure. yeah. things would happen that would yeah, be yeah, yeah. disastrous. But I was just drinking super heavily, I, you know, and there was just by the end of where, you know, when I finally started getting help, I was just drinking at the point where, you know, if I didn't start having alcohol by about five in the afternoon, I started to feel real bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was pretty gnarly. So I tried to start moderating and that went about how you would expect uh, if you are like have a pretty serious drinking problem yeah. where it would I would be able to moderate for a little bit and then it would ramp back up and eventually I would just be I would go on a bender which is what I really wanted to do all along yeah. and then building inside of you exactly yeah. I guess like cuz I was in a relationship too and we would like set these rules mm-hmm. like okay you can only have like 3 drinks tonight yeah you know oh yeah and I guess you being with a partner like I don't know do you guys have we would, yeah, there would be sort of like this idea of like, okay, we're going to have two drinks or, you know, we would buy a six pack and like, you know, we would both have two beers and it would just like destroy me inside because I would know that there's like that other beer like yeah. still in the fridge yeah. and like, and you know, like my wife would just be, you know, be fine. And then I would just be laying in bed, just like, you know, crawling, just like wanting to jump out of yeah. my skin. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a terrible way to live. Yeah. Um, was your therapist supporting your decision to moderate? She was. I mean, uh, she, the idea is like you basically come in and they meet you where you're at. So right. I came in and I said I want to moderate. And so I think it probably in her mind, I mean, I, I can't assume what she was thinking, but I think that probably the idea was at least if I was moderating, I was drinking less than I was. Harm reduction. Exactly. Harm reduction. Um, and so that kind of went along for about two years. Um, and then... Um, I got married and then we, um, had a kid, um, or my wife got pregnant and that's really when, um, I was like, okay, I like, I can't keep doing the cycle of mm. staying sober for a little bit. I would be able to go stay sober for relatively long stretches, you know, two months, three months. And then, so at this point you're like, moderation's done. You're I like, knew moderation I was like... not something I could really do, right. but I didn't, I wasn't really ready to give it up. Yeah. And then my therapist had recommended a few times, she was like, you should think about antabuse. And I was like, well, you know, that, that won't work for me because I won't take it. Um, yeah. right. Can I ask a question before we get into antabuse? Sure. When you were like, I, I knew I was an alcoholic and I, you know, was testing that hypothesis. <laughs> for, <laughs> I did the same thing. I uh-huh. knew I was an alcoholic very early on. Was it the term alcoholic or the idea of stopping drinking? It was definitely the term alcoholic that I was super scared of. I yeah. mean, I definitely remember having the thought of like, oh, I can't stop drinking because if I stop drinking, then people will know I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like it's yeah, better yeah. for me to like go to this party and get like mm, just aggressively fucked up. Um, Show them an alcohol. And, and that's the thing. Like, Yeah, but I don't know. That whole term, I mean, we've talked about this in the I have past. a lot to say about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and it's like you have this like stereotype of what it is and there's all different spectrums of it right I, yeah i mean i think that obviously like i think alcoholic is like a bad term addict is probably closer to where i think what i actually am which is just yeah. like i have a tendency to become addicted to pretty much anything same yeah mm-hmm. and it just happened to be that you know alcohol was the one that just really got me like you know i spent my 20s and my teen years trying a lot of different uh, recreational drugs but it was really alcohol was the one that just like did like sort of checked all the boxes of what I wanted, which yeah. was lowering inhibitions, made me feel more comfortable in my skin, made me feel like less sort of like weird and gross and just like this weird meat bag moving through the world. <laughs> yeah, it takes you away from yourself. Yes, exactly. It allows you to forget who you are. Exactly. And, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's almost like then it becomes like that's who I actually am is when I'm drinking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where, yeah, I mean, I definitely... 
in AA what they would call sort of white knuckling, which was not drinking for a period, but not really trying to do anything else, but yeah. just not drink. Uh, yeah, it would just, I would go out, um, or go to events and have to be around people and just be like, oh, I can't be myself because I can't drink yeah. and then I can't sort of let loose who I really am inside. But also your entire brain was filled with, I can't drink, I can't drink, I want to drink, I want to drink. Like, yes. It, that's your entire brain energy is ta- thinking about drinking. It's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I think that if, uh, I think that, you know, there are people who can moderate for sure. And like, I applaud people who can, but for me, it really didn't work because it was basically, uh, it would be like starving and going to like an all you can eat yeah. buffet and yeah. then deciding, oh, I'm just going to have like a couple like jello cubes or something, <laughs> you know, like, uh, no, like yeah. fuck yeah. that. I want, yeah. I want everything, you know, I want the froyo at the end too. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I'm going to wake up the next day and feel like shit, but say la vie. So yeah. back to, uh, back to your story. So you're in, uh, you're, you're with the therapist and you're talking about anabuse. Talking about anabuse. Yeah. And I finally, you know, I was at a point where, you know, I'd come back in, I had gotten off another bender, I was drying out again. You know, at this point, like, I like knew, like, I could almost like predict, like, down to the, like, the hours of like, oh, this is what it's like when you dry out from alcohol. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to feel like kind of like a really bad flu for like three days and like sort of be almost to like adjust my work schedule, you know, like, yeah. oh, I can't really like plan anything for like the first day when I'm drying out because I won't be sleeping very well and I'll be kind of like a sweaty mess. So like try to push stuff to the second day where I'll be a little bit more in control. If I have to do anything that like will require me being like in front of people or in public or like interviewing people, then I need to wait like three or four days because I'll still be pretty shaky. And she didn't think you should be in detox. She did not recommend, or she asked me if I should be in detox, but I had gone off enough times on my own. To know Um, what would happen, yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to like any program. At the time, no, I wasn't involved in any program. I had gone to AA meetings here and there and had, in San Francisco, had gone to a group where I stayed for about three months or so. Yeah. But a lot of times AA... Just for whatever reason it was, for I sure. think I yeah. wasn't in a place where I was ready to accept it. And also sometimes just the idea of like not drinking forever and also yeah. there being something just sort of like damaged within me would then make me want to drink. Yeah, um, no, for sure. And it's really kind of impressive too that you guys both saw ter- therapists that wasn't like, that wasn't the default recommendation. Because when I was seeing, th- it was kind of like the default thing is like, oh, you have a problem with alcohol? Go Mm-hmm. AA that will be it, you know. So, but you seem to have a high degree of skill with this quitting <laughs> process. If you can know all the signs and you know be able to like schedule out, yeah, it's the drying out. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you just you know, I probably quit drinking where I was at, like a you know a point where quitting felt you know I had physical side effects thirteen, fourteen times. Wow, um, without exaggeration. So yeah, it was just something that I'd done a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I just reached a point where, you know, I knew that we, a kid was on the way and I was just so, you know, you just, you get tired. And so, you know, I was talking to her and she said, well, you know, do you want to try an abuse again? And I said, yes, pretty reluctantly. I really was just more just sort of like, okay, you know, what, what else can I do? Yeah. Um, and so I took, started taking it and it really like, Anabuse is pretty amazing. I don't. Should we explain what anabuse is? Oh yeah. Oh wait. Yeah. The other important thing to say is none of us are oh, doctors. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm a bachelor of the arts <laughs> from like a third tier state school. So and, yeah. I'm a bachelor of the fine arts. So even better. But um, seriously, this is all of our personal experience. You should talk to your therapist or psychiatrist or general practitioner if you're interested in this. And it's a very serious drug, which we'll also get into and how you have to respect it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. You should talk to an actual medical doctor and not (laughs) a podcast. Well, I mean, they have to get a prescription technically, (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So anabuse basically is like a pill you take that makes you allergic to alcohol. Um, I don't know like the exact what it does in your body, but basically I think it stops your ability to break down or metabolize alcohol. Yeah. Um, I don't have you guys drank on an abuse before? Yeah. <laughs> well, like maybe let's get to that after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some grade A story that we can't just throw out willy nilly well, right like, now. Let's talk about the good stuff. <laughs> <and> then... <laughs> so, 
So yeah, it's a pill that makes you allergic to alcohol. You stop being able to break down the ethanol and alcohol um, the way that you would when you're drinking. And so that just means as long as you take it and uh, you know one dose will last about a week or so, you will not be able to drink that whole time. And if you try, it's you will not enjoy it. You will not really be able to get drunk. And so basically what I found is that it's this pill that does this really magical thing because it shuts down every single bar and liquor store and, you know, off license and Penn Station and every other place that I would normally go after being sober for a little bit. And I would just be like, "Eh, fuck it, I'm going to duck into this bar or whatever. They just, it removed that option. Mm -hmm. And what that did for me is it just opened up so much space inside of my head. Yeah, Um, yeah. It allowed me to, you know, I'd been able to put together months here and there, but this was, you know, I was able to do three months pretty fast and I was able to, you know, get the pink cloud feeling, start to really feel some of the benefits of being sober and then start to get to the point of like, oh, if I'm going to be sober, I need to actually change my life in some ways. Mm -hmm. You start noticing the things that are going on in your head that you're like, that's maybe unhelpful for me to yeah. be saying to myself. Or, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I can't be like a self-loathing sad sack of shit and also be sober. Like, I mean, I can, but it's, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. It's going to be a lot harder. So, you know, I mean, I think that the, the thing that an abuse allowed me to do was to just get that time and that space and frankly, probably prevent me from a couple of relapses. Um, I was, had been sober for about eight months and it was very close to when my daughter was going to be born, and my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, and she passed away maybe three weeks after I found out. It was really fast, oh, really wow. brutal. Um, and then, um, and then my daughter came like two weeks later. But I was able to do all of that sober, partly because I was pretty dedicated to being sober at that point, and partly because you know when it was really bad and I felt really awful because, and also really great and, you know, every emotion all at once, what I would have maybe turned to in the past, which would have been drinking either in celebration or in desperation, I just couldn't do. And then, you know, I made it through that and then I went off antabuse for a little bit and relapsed. And then when that happened, I went back on and have still like stayed on and now I'm at 18 months sober. So, Wow, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, even, and I, what you reminded of when you're talking about it is like even good feelings, even exuberant feelings, I think any strong feeling you want to drink, you want to numb it. It's still uncomfortable to be extremely happy is still uncomfortable to have in your body. Because you also are like, where is this going to go? If I'm feeling the strong feeling, where is it going to end? Like, where is this going? And so to numb it, I think is it's not just the really sad, intense feelings. It's also the happy ones. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, for me, I sometimes think of it also as like, for me, it was, I had such a desire to like prolong anything that felt good. And, you know, drinking was maybe a way to prolong those good feelings. Mm. But yeah, I definitely have noticed that as my sobriety has gone on and on, that a lot of times the triggers for me now aren't the ones that I would expect, or I've kind of gotten used to the idea of like, oh, if I feel sad or I feel bored or I feel lonely, like those are times where it's going to be a little bit more difficult for me. Mm -hmm. And the ones that sort of catch me by surprise still are moments of sort of, yeah, celebration, times where things go well for me. Um, And it's good to know that I have right now a sort of pharmacological backstop from relapsing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember my therapist, when she brought it up to me, it was because I couldn't, I really wanted to get sober. And it, every morning I would wake up regretful and feeling really like I was a loser and couldn't control, like feeling so depressed because I couldn't control myself and felt completely out of control and, and all the feelings you feel when you wake up every morning, you know, in active addiction. And so I was so intent on being sober in the morning. And then of course, by three o'clock, you know, that started going downhill. And she was like, if you take this every morning when you're feeling, you know, like really wanting to be sober, then, you know, it'll get you through the night. And that's exactly how it worked for me. I mean, (laughs) until it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) It works until it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I know Nick and I have experimented with drinking on it, did you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have the personality where 
uh, if you tell me you can't do something, I'm like, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> That's, oh, huh. That's Nick. <laughs> Are you not like that? No, I'm like that too. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you were just saying that. In the last episode, that's why it's front of mind. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah, no. So um, I definitely, uh, you know, I first took it, I, you know, went to uh, the bar that I would go to a lot and, you know, <laughs> went up to the bar and was like, you know, give me one beer and one shot, which was like what I would normally drink. And started drinking the beer and had the shot and was sort of sitting there. And I was like, huh, like, <laughs> I think I'm okay. And Wait, then you had the shot? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> you were like full tilt on it. I mean, I was a soldier. What can I okay. say? Yeah, no. Props. Respect. Right. Respect. I don't want a war story. Sorry. Um, no, 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 no. I just meant like, all right, this is also when we tell everyone, don't do this. Yeah, seriously. Well, no, no, no. He, let's hear the rest of the story. Okay. Let's see how this played out. This um, might have worked out for him. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it didn't. I mean, so, uh, you know, I've heard a variety of stories. I didn't throw up, but basically what happened for me is... Like I started getting really short of breath. My heart started racing. Like I felt really, really flushed. Like I just felt like I had like too much blood in my body, uh, which I don't think is good generally to have too much blood in your body. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, I mean, it kicked in within three or four minutes of having a drink and felt really bad. Also, it was just like noticeably like really red and flushed. Yeah. Um, And that was... That was enough. Like, uh, shockingly, like that one time, I was just like, okay, like that will do it. Um, the only other time was like, uh, I went to a dinner party once. That, except for another time. Yeah. Well, no, I went to a dinner party and it wasn't, okay. I intentionally drank. Somebody served like a sauce that had oh. like, oh. they'd like finished it in brandy. And it's like a dude who like is pretty like liberal with booze anyway. Right. And I think he didn't really cook it off. So I was like eating like this pork. And then all of a sudden, like, my face started getting like really red, and I was like, "Oh no!" There's alcohol somewhere. Yeah, yeah. you so, must have felt really badly. I did, I did, and then I was like worried that like my wife was going to think that like I tried you to like drinking. sneak. Yeah, yeah, that I was like secretly drinking again, and like so I had to like sort of like try to like let her know that like hey like there's alcohol in this like sauce, and like I'm having a reaction, and yeah, it it was you got to be careful when you're on it for a variety of reasons. Obviously, don't drink on it. Yeah. But I mean, I know for some people when they're on it, like it's enough just to like, if they smell like mouthwash with alcohol in it, just like the fumes can like give them a reaction or like they can have allergic reactions on the skin. That doesn't happen for me, but. Perfume I was told to stay away from. mm -hmm. Yeah. Salad, like even red wine vinegar. Pretty much anything that they wouldn't let you bring into a rehab, like you got to stay away from. Yeah. It's interesting because when I got prescribed it, my doctor was kind of not wanting to prescribe it to me because it's kind of like an older medicine. It was yeah. kind of like the first one. And now there's like naltrexone that is kind of like the new brand mm-hmm. of Anabuse a little bit. Well, you know? it does different things. It, but yeah, it does different things. But I mean, like, yeah, I tried naltrexone as yeah. well. And it- yeah, but you can still drink on it. It's not like it gives you this reaction, you mm-hmm. know? So I mean, I tried both of them too. But, you know, that was one of the things that the doctor was like, this is hardcore stuff, you know, and... It can definitely it can kill, kill you. you. Yeah. yeah, it can. If yeah. you if you take it and you decide that you're like gonna go out and like drink heavy, yeah, you can. You're take, gonna die. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's a different you know brand a mechanism of action compared to naltrexone. Exactly. And that's kind of like you know I don't know that's like a discussion that you can have in either. But I tried them both. You know, yeah. and actually, Anabius, very similar to your story. It definitely saved me. In a lot of times, because it, like you said, I really like the way that you put it, that it gave you more space, mm-hmm. you know, to do things. Cause I would just be able to like take it and then the option is just removed for it's you. It's off the table. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So to Which speak. is a crazy feeling when you're in the throes of that, you know, because you almost kind of feel sometimes when you're in that environment, you don't have, you just you got to do it if it's around, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a sense of freedom, yep. which yeah. I think is what sobriety is all about is freedom, not to be cheesy, but <laughs> you know, and I forget yeah. that feeling. I forget what that feels like to have no choices and be completely obsessed with something. You're thinking about it all the time. How am I going to get this? How am I going to like sneak it? Or how am I going to drink what I, how much I want without other people noticing or who's going to drive or who's going to, you know? Yeah. I mean, the amount of times I would get my, I would tell my ex-boyfriend that I would be the driver. <laughs> and he would 
And then I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) He would ultimately drive, you know. And, you know, he probably shouldn't have driven either, but between the two of us, yeah. Are you just going to leave your car? Come on. Yeah, no, please. (laughs) This is like pre-Uber days. No, but this is upstate New York where I was actually told... I went, remember once I asked if I, when I I was visiting, I hadn't moved up there yet, and I asked somebody, oh, is there a taxi like I can take back home? And they're like, oh, yeah, but what time is it? Oh, 10 o'clock. Oh, he's had too much by now. I want to call. Even the cab drivers are wasting. <laughs> <laughs> Life lives a little bit differently. Yeah, upstate. yeah. But um, yeah, it's cool that it because then it gives you practice, like reps of just being sober, and you kind of build that muscle mm-hmm. of being like, Oh, like now I can be in this environment. I mean, it, right? You, the confidence. Yeah, the confidence. confidence. Yeah. And I mean, I think a large part, at least for me, a large part of being sober has been if you use alcohol as the main reward mechanism in your life, of like, you know, this is how I just reward myself for like getting through a day. Yeah. You have to find other things that replace that. I mean, that's, I think, a commonality of like every sobriety program or every person who seems to get sober and it like sticks is they find things that replace what alcohol was for them. Yeah. And forcing yourself to do it because if you drink booze, you will like basically like feel just so shitty awful, uh, is one way to sort of force yourself to start exploring those other options. Yeah. It's a habit. You got to break the habit somehow, yeah. you know, there's some people mm-hmm. that think that, Taking something like naltrexone or um, antabuse is kind of cheating. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about that? <laughs> I think we know how we feel about it. But I mean, I think boo, it's sort of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like massive boo. Um, no, I, I mean, I remember being in an AA meeting in San Francisco and hearing, you know, some old timer that you know had fifteen years. Uh, somebody else had talked about being on some medication. I can't remember what, but they sort of rattled off and abuse was one of them of just like all these, you know, didn't count and you weren't getting sober. Oh my gosh. You were just being a dry drunk. Um, if you were doing that and you know, I just, I just don't buy that at all. I feel like for me at least, I think that I would have found sobriety regardless. Yeah. But it probably would have been another couple of years. I probably would have continued to, you know, cycle in and out and yeah, the ability to like, I don't know. I think of it a lot as like, you know, the openness, there's just like such freedom and not having a choice, yeah. which is like this really paradoxical thing, especially yeah. if you're sort of used to being in a society that really celebrates the idea that like you can choose to do whatever you want at any yeah. time. Uh, shutting down options and sort of committing yourself that you won't have this option on the table just uh, for me was life changing. Yeah, it's a pretty radical thing. Like talking about just American society, that's what we're founded on mm-hmm. is like unlimited choices, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the idea that, I mean, definitely, I don't know how you guys felt, but when my therapist first talked about it, like, my immediate reaction was just like, oh, God, no. Like, I, yeah. I loved it. I Honestly, I was like, oh, that exists? So it, what was it like is... for you? Was it your therapist that recommended it? Yeah, and then she had me go to a psychiatrist to get, because I, I was only seeing a therapist at the point, so she had me go see, meet a psychiatrist who wrote me the scripts. But I was all about it. I jumped on it. And and I remember like any prescriptions. I remember she when she gave me anxiety and depression medications, I almost felt like I was getting away with something. <laughs> <laughs> like I wasn't allowed to admit that I had those that that was real, you know, and I think yeah. I it did feel like that. Like I was getting kind of an escape route, you know, and same with the anxiety and depression. Like, oh, someone's taking me seriously. That's mm-hmm. oh, I'm tricking them somehow. You know, I mean, I think there's also, I don't know how you guys were around doctors when you were in active use, but I spent a lot of time uh, lying to doctors. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. you know, how many drinks do you have? And oh, forget it. You know, like my daily total was what I would give as my weekly total. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to see a psychiatrist just to like fake ADD to get Adderall. That <laughs> <laughs> like, so was yeah. like. Yeah. So when I actually like admitted that I have a problem, I couldn't see that psychiatrist anymore. <laughs> I had to go see another one. <laughs> um, but yeah, the ability to like honestly be you know to be honest with a doctor and to start getting the help that you actually need, yeah, yeah. Uh, is life. You know, all of it's life changing. Um, the ability to like talk to somebody straight up and be like, yeah, maybe I should be on antidepressants. Uh, 
you know, I often feel now that I'm sober, even like after a long term, like I sometimes get super anxious in social situations. So like maybe like Luxapro or something like that. Yeah. And all of that is, you know, uh, the idea that like you're not sober if you're on medication is I think really probably keeps some people from being sober. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's a dangerous idea. I do, but to play devil's advocate, I mean, I, I'm totally on the same page as this. Like, I think that from like what they say, just from an AA point of view, they talk about like a spiritual solution. And this idea of being a dry drunk is like you can take the medication and just not work on yourself. You know what I mean? And I think like there's a danger sometimes with these medications being like, oh, I can take this and then I'm fine and I can just go about my business and live life the way I used to live life. And I guess it's not even probably possible to live your life in the same way, you know, pre-post taking these medications because you kind of have to change your life. But I think that's like the spirit of where that's coming from is that, like you're saying, it gives you space and it kind of just raises your level up to a place where it's like, oh, now I can explore like doing healthier activities or being involved in community and like all these things that you weren't able to do when you were depressed or in active addiction because you were just isolating, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, so, I don't actually disagree with that. Um, I think that it gives you space, but then it's up to you to actually use that space. Yeah. Um, you know, I do, uh, I'm in a group with other recovering addicts and, um, I definitely have watched some people that are on antabuse where they do seem to sort of stall out a little bit I th- where they just say, well, I'm not drinking. And then that's sort of where it starts yeah. and that's where it ends. Yeah. And they're not getting into the, well, how do I make myself happy now that I can't drink? Yeah. Um, how do I, you know, live a fulfilling life that doesn't involve alcohol, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that you can be a dry drunk and take antabuse, but you can be a dry drunk without taking antabuse. For sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, to me, I guess like the alcohol, the drugs, that was always a symptom of something else, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even see what the something else was because the symptoms was yeah. masking it. You know what I mean? So yeah, I just think without when we're talking about antidepression and anxiety medication, like you may not be able to get anywhere without kind of some people can't. They need that to help them get sober. No, for sure. I'm one of those people. I had to take all these medications in order to do that. You know what I mean? So I can see, you know, yeah, I'm obviously 100% advocating for doing this if you need to do it. You know what I mean? But I think that, like, I I mean, to continue to play devil's advocate, I do think that it's it's not enough. I think that there is, um, you know, some people in my life know that I take antabuse and I've had friends who have problems reach out and sort of be like, well, you know, how do I get my doctor to give me this? And sort of trying to talk to them a little bit and sort of like, well, where are you at? You know, are you, how are you feeling? Uh, it's not, it's not a, you know, a quick solution. It's, yeah. it's actually a really drastic solution. I mean, to yeah. take something that, you know, could potentially be fatal and its consequences if you decide to drink on it is not something that you do lightly. And, you know, I think that you, if you're trying to get sober, it's great. If you're just sort of like, oh, I think I have a problem drinking with drinking, but I'm not. You're not ready to take the sort of like, and I need to somehow sort that out. Yes, yeah. it's, it's not going to take. I mean, you'll just stop taking it too. I mean, I've watched people relapse who have been taking it, and they just stop taking it and then start drinking again. Yeah, and I think you know I, the gift is in the struggle, and I think the struggle is still there with Anabuse because again, you have to take it, make that decision every day to take it. But also, that's what we're talking about is. Finding a new way of life is really the gift and really what brings you to a different place in life and gives you satisfaction and like kind of brings you to the other side where you don't need alcohol or need some other substance to quote unquote make you happy or get you out of yourself that you can stay with yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think an abuse does just take away a certain amount of time where you could harm others and harm yourself in a big way. It just kind of takes that chunk of time out potentially. But you do have to struggle a lot yeah. still to get to the good place. No, because I was like, or the same, mediocrely. Like, you, know, <laughs> you have to change your behavior. Because when I took anabuse, I was still like trying to go out and hang out with my friends at the bar. Yeah. yeah. And that same thing happened to me where you drink it and I'm like legit going to die. I felt like heart attack or something, you know? And then it's just like, I can no longer do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to find something else to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's it's having self enough for self respect to say this can't be part of my life. I need to take care of myself, which is like a hard thing to do because 
if that didn't happen, I probably still would have hung out with my friends at the bar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's fun. And that's what I did. I mean, and for me, I think that I, I I don't know. I mean, I think that for me, there was, at this point, I'm staying sober for myself, but because I had a kid on the way and, you know, uh, that really sort of sharpened everything into a really uh, stark relief about, okay, like, what kind of dad am I going to be? Yeah. yeah, or just like the the ability to to fuck up in that way somehow. Just like, I don't know, the consequences just increase it. So did you stop going to that bar that you went to? Yeah, I mean it was that? it's it sucks because it was it was like right on the corner of where I live. Um, like it's filled with a bunch of like old dudes who I enjoyed <laughs> hanging out with and like watching Wheel of Fortune with. Like, <laughs> um, and like I've gone back a few times to like have like a diet coke or something like that, uh, but you know obviously like I stay around for a second and I'm like it's not yeah. the same. It's not the same. It's not the yeah. same. And you know I, I'm not going to sit there and watch the dumbest game show in the world with yeah, a why bunch would of drunks. You when you're not drunk. <laughs> no, it, it sucks. sucks. Fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I so. used to think that I liked going to like nice restaurants or somewhat nice restaurants that had like a beautiful bar, like a big marble bar. And would bring a book and I like sit by myself and eat. And I thought it was this beautiful ritual that I had. Oh, look, I'm comfortable eating alone. And you know, no, I do I do that anymore? No, I haven't done it once since I stopped <laughs> drinking. Yeah, totally. No, I, I definitely would do the thing of, yeah, bringing a book and like going somewhere and being like, oh man, I bet I look like real fucking cool right now. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, really I was just like having like five drinks and then, yeah. like, you know, getting so cross eyed that like, if I read anything, it wasn't like I was going to remember it. Yeah. So you're still on anabuse. Like you, you, you take it consistently. I am, but right now there is like breaking, breaking. There is an anabuse shortage going on. Oh shit! So there are only two companies, I believe. Again, so uh, not only am I not a doctor, I'm not a FDA representative. So I don't know. Google this shit on your own. <laughs> but my understanding is there's only two companies <laughs> that make it, and. They're not making it. So there's like a shortage going on. So my last refill, like Walgreens couldn't fill it. CVS couldn't oh, fill it. Wow. I had to go to like this pharmacy on like the Upper East Side that was like the size of like a bathroom and just like they were like the only ones. And like my psychiatrist who has other people that are on it like called me. He was like, they've got it. Go now. Like, oh, man. That's crazy. So I'm actually at the place where, you know, I'm starting to talk to my therapist about moving to uh, a place where I'm taking it more situationally. Interesting. Um, because I do feel like, you know, in my day-to-day life, the times now, uh, you know, with 18 months, the times where I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to like pop into a bar just are just radically reduced. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, Moving to a thing where I'm not taking it every day and much more doing it, like, if I go back home where I'm going to be around family and friends and, you know, sort of... uh, Trigger city. Trigger city, yes. (laughs) My hometown. (laughs) Weird, mine is too. Yeah. Well, you grew up there. Um, Then I would probably take it then because, you know, I just want to protect my sobriety. For sure, yes. I actually did the same thing. I actually have some in my medicine cabinet here, but I went to Spain this summer Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is going to be dangerous territory because totally. I don't want to do it. So I just did it and it made the trip really nice. Oh, good. Yeah, I have on my um, like my bureau, you know, where I have all my perfumes, my <laughs> alcoholic perfumes, <laughs> a little container, little ceramic container full of like five pills of interviews. Oh, so. so tweet. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who breaks my apartment would probably think it's Xanax or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Joke's on them. The worst. Wow. <laughs> I'm not getting high at all off this. This, this sucks. Like- <laughs> <laughs> Why'd this lady keep it in wow. a weird ceramic jar? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, so there there is a shortage going on, uh, and so I think that sort of put me at a point, but it's something I've also been thinking about for a while. You know, I think that it's been super helpful, but I also feel like I'm at a place where... I feel like I'm healthy enough and I'm sort of far enough uh, along in recovery that I could, you know, move over to taking it situationally and I can see a place where eventually I would stop taking it and feel that I'm safe enough to not relapse. So what's changed for you in these 18 months? God, uh, what hasn't? Um, I mean, I would say, you know, so I, I go to a group where I talk with a bunch of other recovering addicts every week. I'm seeing a therapist every week. You know, I have a daughter at home and a family where that's, you know, radically changed my routine. Mm -hmm. Um, I also just can't imagine now 
with a kid and how little free time I have. Like I know some of my friends who have kids who are also like, I would, you know, diagnosing from afar are active alcoholics. And I'm just like, how the fuck do you have time? Like, it's just so like waking up hungover to like a screaming, like two year old would just be nightmare. Um, it is interesting though. This whole, I mean, I'm not a parent. I don't have any, you know, experience with that, but mm-hmm. there's this kind of culture of like mommy juice is like the wine. Oh and yeah. Like oh, parents fuck. drinking and like, you know, it's, it's gotta be super stressful being a parent, you know? And that kind of takes the edge off. Yeah. I mean, go to like a two year old's birthday party <laughs> and like, there is a <laughs> lot of fucking booze flowing. And that's like, I mean, that has been a situation where like, you know, uh, People have been like, do you want a beer? And I'm like, nah, you know, like a seltzer's fine. Or like, do you have any Diet Coke? And they're like, oh, no, we don't. Like, <laughs> You're like, just, you got a juice box. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just swiping it out of like some yeah. three-year-old's hand. <laughs> Give me that Tucker. <laughs> Come on, Aiden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, alcohol so suffuses our society. It's For in sure, yeah. every single corner of it. So yeah, yeah there's absolutely, you know, uh, wine moms are a thing. You know, uh, there's like a group of dads uh, where I'm at who they like were inviting me out for like, they were like dad beers. And, yeah. you know, it was a thing where like I eventually said yes, but I was like sort of like I had to go and then sort of drink seltzer and like nobody gave a shit really. But yeah. it's just, you know, it's one of those things where like, yeah, I mean, being a parent is yet another thing that you have to do sober if you're going to live, yeah. live a sober life. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds overly reductive, but true. Yeah. Yeah, and while I'm not a parent, I, there is that when you have these days where everything keeps building and it's the worst, it's the worst, it's the worst, just getting through it. I mean, it's, I think it's actually pretty satisfying to me at this point to get through something like that without reaching for anything. Mm-hmm. My reaching right now looks like... Netflix and ordering something unhealthy on Seamless. But, you know, if I can get through an experience like a bad day without doing that, that's like, whoa. You know, (laughs) so I I imagine that there's certain experiences that build up as a parent that where it becomes kind of, you really feel it physically almost Mm -hmm. that you have to learn how to, I mean, that's an amazing thing to learn. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's a definitely an interesting crash course and sort of how to live sober is to also be doing it while I'm figuring out how to be a parent. And yeah, I mean, I, and I think that anti-abuse again has probably stopped a relapse or two because, yeah. uh, you know, it you get very tired. You are going through uh, all the things that you go through as a, you know, just living your normal life. I got laid off from a job and then I also had a one-year-old at home who yeah. was her sleep schedule got all fucked up and like so all of that sort of combining together you know like it it gets rough and so yeah I, I don't know I, I still find myself falling back into sort of like unsober behavior it's just yeah. that now that like that looks more like yeah me playing civilization six for too long on my computer or something <laughs> like it like the the behavior takes on different uh avenues yes. yeah yeah that's really cool I'm very like inspired by you I mean, you're doing a lot, <laughs> a lot more than I do. Like, you uh, know, so I don't. It's very I, cool. I find it like actually. I mean, I think that being sober and I don't know, I don't know if I can say this. I, I hope this doesn't come off as patron, but like being sober and being like single and being sort of uh, on your own is also something to me that like I feel like uh, beyond just like that you guys are doing it without medication, like without like you're not on a pill right now. We're like, you know. Uh, I can't go to a bar after recording this. You guys could. Um, yeah, yeah. But also just that, like, you have to, I don't know, that you're doing it where you have to sort of figure out your life a little bit more, and it's not quite as constrained. Like I said, like, there's a real freedom in having no choice. Mm, and, like, yeah. I mean, having a kid, like, removes just a lot of choice from your life. Yeah. So in some ways it makes a lot of, some of this stuff easier, even if it's like harder in the moment. Yeah, the I, but I definitely resonate with what you're saying about removing choice. And I think that's a lot of things with like our recovery program and just like a Buddhist practice, like being like, yes, this is what I'm following. And they have rules being like, you can't drink alcohol. Yeah. You know? So if I'm signing up for that, it's removing the choice because I'm signing up for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that really helps me because like, to your point, like I'm not taking it, but it's just like an impossibility to go to a bar, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, I, I do think it's a commonality that uh, of every you know AA 
you know, recovery dharma, pretty much anything that you're going to successfully be able to change your life. Some idea of it is giving up a little bit of the idea of choice yeah, um, or giving up this idea that you're going to be completely your own agent of free will in the world. I, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. And it's all like these external things too become the thing that it's not, that's not the thing, you know, you don't actually need the thing. You have everything already. Right. You know, I don't get it. No. <laughs> <laughs> you lost me. <laughs> well, so it's like, you don't need alcohol or drugs or sex or shopping to make you feel better. The ways you make you feel better are all in your head and your body already. So you need to learn how to tap yes. into that yeah. too, yeah. so that you don't yeah. need this thing that ultimately causes you more harm and will continue to cause you harm and make you feel worse. You really just need to learn how to open up and let your own brain and body do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess one thing that like I think a lot about now that like where I am right now is thinking more and more about like like how do you replace like the sort of dopamine hit that alcohol provides and it's never going to be replaced and you're never going to find no. anything as like fast and active as that. Um, and I think that, you know, there's certainly like exercise replaces that. I think yeah. the satisfaction of a job well done, being a parent, there's a lot of things that sort of give me like smaller versions of that, but like yeah. building more and more of those, layering those back in yeah. Uh, is, yeah, something that's such a vital part of doing the work. I feel Yeah, like and I think of... friendship is not to be cheesy. I have to look <laughs> at five times during an episode. I'm like, not that I'm being cheesy, but, <laughs> but friendship really does. It, it gives you the dopamine hit. That's like that whole thing in the uh, Bay Area, the dopamine fast. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, but it resets you that like smaller things can give you that same experience, yes. right? Like smelling yeah. a flower mm-hmm. can, I'm not there, but. I mean, like, yeah, God, I'm I'm never going to go on a dopamine fast, but. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it where I can get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that, yeah, it is sort of resetting uh, where you find your rewards. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, um, no, for sure. It's just like the alcohol, the drugs, are so, they're overpowering. It, it messes up those reward systems, right? And I think it's about and, noticing it again, learn, teaching your body to start noticing what feels good. Yeah. And I think I, we talk about that a lot, but... It's 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 starting to pay attention, and your body will tell you when you like something, and just actually noticing it because it's more subtle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that like if you uh, when you're in active use a lot, or something, that I think that I've noticed when I've talked to other people that are sort of recovering from addiction is I think that everybody finds that it's like it's a shortcut. You know, it's a shortcut to feeling good. Yeah, and that's I think what a lot of like early recovery is is like realizing oh like I'm not going to be able to take that shortcut anymore, and so I'm going to have to like take the longer way towards feeling good, and um, which is ultimately more satisfying anyway. Ultimately, it is, but <laughs> during those early days, <laughs> it takes you a while can, to get there. Yeah. yeah, but once you get there, once you get there, it feels real good. I don't know if you ever get there, but eighteen months in, you're definitely on the path there, right? Yeah, I mean it's. You know, it's it's really interesting. I, I don't know if this happens for you guys, but when you're around other people that are still suffering from addiction and you see them, you know, Lacey was talking about that idea of like, how am I going to get enough alcohol for the day and that sort of compulsion and how much you can get caught in that. Yeah. I really do forget in my day-to-day how caught up I was in it. Yeah. Um, and so when you see somebody else suffering from that, it really, uh, it takes you back to how much you were suffering. Yeah. And uh, for me, at least, like, there's part of me that, like, really feels sad for that person, but there's also a part of me that, like, it's like the opposite of schadenfreude or something. It's like, I'm just so grateful that I don't have to do that anymore, that I don't have to think about, like, how am I going to, like, smuggle a half pint of vodka into my house anymore? Like, all that, yeah, just the endless hustle of being, like, an active alcoholic is, Yeah. It's hard for me to be around. I, I can't really explain it. But I physically, my all this, everything in me tells me to get away from it. Whenever I'm around it, I just don't want to be there anymore. I need to, and it, it's it's just extremely uncomfortable for me. Not because I want to use, but because I think I can feel what they're feeling, and I it, like it's a transference. And all of a sudden, my body is feeling that yeah. kind of that suffering, and I just I can't be around. Like it's very hard for me to yeah. be around. I mean, that's like empathy. 
Yeah. It's like compassion. That's what my therapist like, told me. <laughs> but it's really hard. Yeah. I have this fucked up thing called empathy. <laughs> I'm trying to get it rid of it. Kinda is. It, like if you it's have too really much hard. empathy, it can seriously fuck you up. Yeah. yeah. You know? Because you learned, take on the suffering of others, you know? I've learned that I have to cut things like I can't hear certain things. Mm-hmm. Or I'll No, for it'll, sure. Yeah. It, it'll it'll cause me a lot like staying up at night and you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But yeah, so. I'm a big believer in you got to take care of like yourself, you know, before you can even show up for anybody else, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you want to, you can weep for the world all day if you want to. And there has to be a certain point where you sort of stop it. But yeah, I mean, I know that feeling of like tightness now of like, um, yeah, when you go back there, when you, when things take you back there for me, yeah, that tightness is, uh, it's very real. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was amazing. Jake, thank you so much. We had such a good time talking to you. And for our first guest, like, wow. I know. You should come back. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely come back. Yeah. It was entirely my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for, for coming on. And I know this stuff is kind of like difficult stuff to talk about. You know, just me personally going through this journey, talking to a microphone about this stuff, I can realize that it's really difficult to do. So I really appreciate you, your honesty. And just talking about this stuff as it is, because it actually does like help people, you know, learning about this stuff. Yeah, we're hearing from people for sure. Yeah, but like other people, like people we don't know, just people. (laughs) Yeah, God damn, I know, I know, it's crazy. Wait, you didn't say other people are going to be listening to this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just my mother (laughs) and your wife. Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, I no, she's not going to listen to this. (laughs) She's like, I've heard enough. So thanks, Jake. Thanks, Lacey. Thanks, me. (laughs) And thank you, the listener, for for tuning in. We really do appreciate it, and we hope you got something out of this conversation. Uh, As always, you can get in touch with us on the internet. Uh, Soberco Podcast is our Instagram, at Soberco Podcast. So you can follow us there, send us a message. You can also find us on our website, SoberCompanyPodcast.com. And we will leave you, as always, with our theme music by John Tessier. We'll see you next week. Provided courtesy of... Said So Sound. I'll find you, you little worm. (laughs) Now we've got stuff for the bloopers.